Welcome to China in Context. I'm Rory Green, Head of China and Asia Research at the investment strategy and research firm TS Lombard. This week, we are going to discuss the most important bilateral relationship in Asia. That is, of course, the relationship between the continent's two largest economies, China and Japan. Despite geographic and cultural proximity, politically, the two countries often seem very far apart, especially given Japan's determination to side with the United States in the great power rivalry between America and China, which shapes international relations in Asia and beyond. Japan recently had an election in which Prime Minister Fumio Kishida was victorious. He leads a party which is generally hawkish in its approach towards China, although there is a great deal of pragmatism, especially on economic issues. Our guest on the podcast this week is a member of the team at SOAS, who usually presents this program, Duncan Bartlett. Duncan is a former BBC Tokyo correspondent and writes frequently for the press in Japan. Uh, Duncan, pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me to host the podcast. And um, yes, great to turn the tables and ask you a few questions this time. There's an ancient rivalry between Japan and China, but how do you view the relationship now in terms of both politics and economics? Well, Rory, thanks very much for stepping in and hosting this edition of the podcast. I have to say, it's quite nerve-wracking being on the other side <laughs> of the microphone. <laughs> Let me try to start by answering your question with a quick story. Uh, before the pandemic, I visited the port of Yokohama uh, near Tokyo, and I thought I was in China. Um, there are many delicious Chinese restaurants in Yokohama. Uh, there are souvenir shops selling paper dragons and toy pandas. Uh, there are Chinese-style shrines and temples with incense. Um, and when I was in Yokohama Chinatown, there were also lots of tourists from China speaking Mandarin. Um, and they were on holiday in Japan, and they seemed absolutely thrilled at the fusion of the two cultures. One of the really popular dishes is mabudofu, which is a, a spicy meat and tofu mix. That's a Japanese interpretation of Chinese cuisine. So it was a real reminder that culturally, there are in fact many ways in which China and Japan thrive in collaboration. And that's also true in the business sector. However, diplomatically and politically, there are some serious problems. Recently, the Japanese foreign minister Toshimitsu Motege said that Sino-Japanese relations are in a serious and difficult situation. And he cited the different values and the rules by which the two countries run their government. China is a communist country, and in fact, one in which communist orthodoxy is being emphasized at the moment. And Japan is a liberal democracy allied to the United States. So Wang Yi, the Chinese foreign minister, has complained about these problems. Wang Yi says that the, uh, the problems in terms of understanding between China and Japan are caused by malicious hype and deliberate provocation. So by that, he means the, the media stories which encourage people in Japan to see China as a threat or a danger. Wang Yi's view is that the two countries need to broaden their cooperation. Of course, that would make sense from a business point of view. Uh, and they do have some common aims, not least of which, of course, is trying to deal with the threat of climate change and reducing carbon emissions. Thanks, Duncan. So 
close relationship, but uh, certainly some friction there. I mean, do you think Japan has angered China by being so pro-America, uh, both during the Trump and now uh, Biden administration? Well, I believe that if Donald Trump wins the 2024 election and becomes the president of the United States for a second time, some people in Tokyo will throw a party to celebrate. And that's because some people in Tokyo see Mr. Trump as a hero for standing up to China. Now, this is based on the idea that China is a threat to Japan, and I have some sympathy with that view. Uh, Chinese vessels, alongside Russian warships, have been circling the islands of Japan in a show of naval force. China, of course, says we're only going to defend ourselves if we're attacked. But has been expanding its territory in Asia. Xi Jinping has vowed to create a world-class military. Under Trump, Japan was a much prized ally and the US-Japan alliance is a pillar of defense policy and foreign policy for both countries. That has continued unabated under President Biden. So since President Biden became commander in chief of the US forces, the Pacific fleet has been conducting bilateral operations with the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force. Where does Fumio Kishida, the new prime minister, stand on this? He's vowed to elevate the Japan-US alliance to a higher level. Um, and he says that he'll work with President Biden to strategically promote the realization of a free and open Indo-Pacific. Now, the way that the Chinese interpret this is that Japan is helping the US with a containment strategy against China. The Chinese want to try to exclude any external interference, is the way they put it. In other words, they want to push the US out of East Asia. And again, to quote the Chinese foreign minister, Wang Yi, again, we must practice multilateralism, oppose a new Cold War and work together to tackle global challenges. So you can see something of a tug of war here between the US and China for influence in Japan. And I did say, uh, Rory, at the start that some people in Japan would celebrate, for example, if Mr. Trump wins the US presidential election, but not all, because there are a number of influential voices, even within the Japanese government, who say we should be careful about not provoking China so that... Uh, we don't raise the, uh, the, the danger of conflict uh, in the region. Yeah, re really interesting, Duncan. I think this dilemma, the, the, this superpower rivalry you, you've highlighted there is, is one that is, that is posed to, to a lot of states, in, in certainly in Asia and particularly in Northeast Asia. Um, I, I characterize this China versus US question for, for countries like Taiwan and South Korea as a a guns versus butter debate, a, a US nuclear umbrella versus the, the massive pull of, of the Chinese economy. How is this, this balancing act viewed in, in Japan? The Chinese economy essential for growth versus US uh, military essential for the country's uh, national security? I like your metaphor, Rory, <laughs> guns versus butter. <laughs> I'll have to remember that next time I order some toast and jab. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, in terms of Japan staying under the US military umbrella, absolutely it intends to do that, uh, particularly given the reports that we've had this year about China increasing the number of nuclear weapons that it has. Japan, of course, does not have its own nuclear weapons. 
and Hiroshima and Nagasaki were destroyed by atomic weapons at the end of the Second World War. But I mean, if we look at this uh, from a diplomatic perspective, I do meet a lot of diplomats, uh, but I don't see any diplomatic effort on the part of Japan at the moment to improve the situation with China. The other problem here is that during the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been less people-to-people -people exchanges. I mentioned Yokohama Chinatown, that's more or less empty. There were a lot of Chinese tourists coming into Japan. They've dried up now. Um, and also people in Japan blame China for the outbreak of COVID-19. It started in Wuhan and many people in Japan and indeed elsewhere in the rest of the world think that the Chinese covered it up at the start of the outbreak and could have done more to prevent the problem spreading internationally. So public opinion on China is really quite negative in Japan, and I'm afraid that's reflected in government policy too. Mm, interesting. Yes, I mean, COVID certainly has not helped uh, international perceptions of, of, of China. Um, what, about, what about the new prime minister, Kishida, and his team? What, what what is this government's China policy shaping up to be? Uh, what, what could we expect from, from the new prime minister? Well, you can get a pretty clear idea of how Mr. Kashida thinks about China when you listen to the particular phrases that he uses in political speeches. Mm. He talks about Japan's vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific. Uh, and in his view, that means uh, peace, freedom and prosperity in Asia. And he also says that Japan shares the same values with its friends and allies, especially, of course, the United States. And the implication there is that Japan does not share the same values with China. These phrases about a free and open Indo-Pacific are exactly the same as the ones that appear on briefings from the State Department in Washington when they're talking to reporters. So... Uh, Mr. Kishida is absolutely taking his guidance on the language to use about China uh, from the US side. This is an indication, really, I think, that he is going to be, I think I'm going to have to define him as a hawk on China. Uh, and, you know, given that the uh, Japanese are not really making much of a diplomatic effort to uh, win favour with uh, the, the Chinese at the moment. That invitation that was standing for President Xi to visit Tokyo has been cancelled. I can't see that being renewed. There's absolutely no sign of uh, a high-level diplomatic or summit meeting between the Japanese and the Chinese on the cards uh, so far as I can see all the way through 2022. So I think we're going to see a pretty firm line on China from Mr. Kishida. Shifting gears slightly and, and turning to, to the economic front, Japan appears increasingly concerned with China as a trade competitor, um, yet they're both now members of, of the RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, a large new free trade deal. And China would like to join another trade bloc, um, the CPTPP. Could you explain the significance of that? How, how will Japan respond? Well, I like what you said at the start there. Japan sees China increasingly as a trade competitor. That's a new view of China, because until recently, Japan saw China as a cheap place for manufacturing and uh, a hugely rapidly 
expanding market for Japanese goods and services. And it still is, actually. But this uh, idea of China as being a trade competitor is an increasing view now in Japan, as it is indeed in many other countries. And that's partly as a result of China's economic growth. In terms of China's application to join this uh, trade pact, well, the uh, political issue here is that Taiwan has also applied to join. China says that Taiwan's application should be totally ignored. So Japan is in a difficult position. It doesn't diplomatically recognize Taiwan, but it doesn't want to uh, cause complications with the relationship with Taiwan. Indeed, Japan has just encouraged Taiwan to build a great big new semiconductor manufacturing operation in Japan. So I think uh, Japan will probably be a bit reluctant to accept China into the CPTPP. It would really like Mr. Biden to say he's bringing the United States in, but uh, no sign there of uh, Washington being ready to take that step at the moment. No, and unfortunately not. The, the US appears very reluctant to, to join with, with that free trade organization. Well, finally, looking, looking ahead, and uh, the next couple of months to to the Winter Olympics in Beijing next year. This is is a very important event for the leadership in in China, for particularly for Xi Jinping. Um, but some politicians in in Japan say that the athletes should boycott it as a political gesture. Um, what, what do you think the the Japanese Olympic Committee will do? Well, the argument against sending athletes to attend the Olympic Games in Beijing really relates to human rights. Um, and it goes back to this question of the way in which China has been, for example, treating the Uyghur minority in the Xinjiang region uh, and the re-education camps, and also um, unrest about the imposition of the new security laws in Hong Kong. Having said that, I'm absolutely certain that the Japanese Olympic Committee will send the athletes to China. Partly because China um, very enthusiastically supported the um, 2020 Olympic Games in Japan, which were actually held in 2021. Um, and that was good in terms of people to people relations. But I think there's a finer point here, really, which is that Japan, like many other countries, is concerned about the domestic situation in China. I'll just leave you with a quote from the uh, chairman of the Keidan Ren. That's the main business lobby in Japan, uh, Masakazu Tokura. He said, we will not budge in the slightest in our stance on democracy, human rights and other universal values. But, and he added an important but, it's important to build stable relations between Japan and China. So if we continue with this idea that China's rise makes it a serious threat to peace and stability in Asia, I don't think we're really going to expect a thawing of relations between Japan and China, not while Mr. Kishida is prime minister and not while Mr. Biden is president, and definitely not if Mr. Trump wins the 2024 US presidential election. Uh, thank you, Duncan Barclay, Research Associate at the SOAS China Institute, University of London. 
My name is Rory Green, Head of China and Asia Research at TS Lombard. I look forward to learning more about China from Duncan and his guests in future podcasts. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.